All right. Welcome to the Peripheral Views Podcast. We're back again. Uh, new episode. Um, this is actually a return to a previous uh, series that we touched on. This is going to be our second on the biography series. Um, we're going to be talking today a little bit about an individual who uh, made a meteoric impact, we'll call it, on the uh, the world of film and music. Interesting intersection of um, a few of our previous podcasts. Um, but first things first, Errol, what's going on? How was your weekend? Ooh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm hanging in there. Uh, the plays, as I aforementioned in the last podcast, are coming along about as good as I imagine they could. Um, yeah, but no, other than that, I'm uh, really excited for this topic. Um, not only just because it is a uh, little topical for the uh, time. Um, happy Pride Month, everyone. Once again, I believe. I hope everyone is continuing to have a safe and, you know, fun Pride Month, celebrating it as you see fit. Um, but yeah, we figured we would uh, kind of join in on the camaraderie in a um, in a nice uh, you know in a nice moment of serendipity. We planned on talking about Wendy Carlos like when we were getting the podcast together, and we kind of like pushed it ahead and we're like, oh look, uh, Pride Month! So happy Pride Month! Uh, we are going to be talking about the wonderful Wendy Carlos. Meteoric was a great way to describe her. Um, she's like the mother of synth, like yeah, all I'm like here. electronic would not be there without her just toiling in the laboratory. Right. And that's, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't really know that much about her um, until I really like looked into her. I knew like a, uh, that it was kind of like a, like a controversial life, but I didn't know exactly how interesting she was until, you know, yeah, it's, a good, it's, it's really a nice uh, surprise. Cause honestly um, you brought, uh, you brought her story to me. Um, she was completely in the dark in terms of my radar. Uh, I never, I never even heard of her. Um, but you know, it's weird. I feel like I should have just based on some of the some of the material that she produced, especially in relation to the films. Um, but we'll get into those those dirty details as we move the podcast um, into her, you know, into her story. So um, glad to hear that things are going well with the play Errol that's excellent to hear um you want to plug those dates again and the uh, location they're forthcoming for uh I believe next weekend right oh yeah 10 days away um 10 days we got uh, uh we got the dates uh, looking like uh June 23rd and 24th starting at 7 p.m at the Watertown Fairgrounds Municipality Hall um i don't know how much the tickets cost like i said if you show up and uh you say something about the podcast i'll sneak you in i'll get you in no problem beautiful yes great so uh yeah that's what's going on arrow side my side pretty quiet um you know pretty uh we're, i'm getting ready for a vacation myself coming up but we're going to keep some material and content pumping out even in the meantime um so let's do a little bit of housekeep housekeeping. We're talking Wendy Carlos today here in the biography series of the Peripheral Views podcast. But let's touch on a few of the uh, you know the, the the points of which we we usually touch upon. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about where our contacts are at. Uh, if you're looking to get in touch with our contacts in a in a bunch of different uh, on a bunch of different platforms, the main one obviously is going to be Twitter. Um, Hit us up on Twitter. We post all of our episodes up there. Um, you can, if you're looking for us, it's going to be at peripheralv123. That's our Twitter handle. Um, the, the actual streaming platform that we 
typically upload our episodes first and foremost on is going to be on SoundCloud. Same as same as per usual, soundcloud.com forward slash peripheral views one, two, three. Um, soundcloud.com forward slash peripheral views one, two, three. Um, hit us up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We are um, published on there. If you're looking for us, throw us in the search bar. If you're if you like what you hear. Uh, please subscribe and um, hit the notification bell so that way you will um, you'll be notified when new episodes drop. Um, any other inquiries or uh, things you'd like to address, comments, concerns related to the podcast, contributions even, um, you can email us at peripheralviewspodcast at gmail.com. Um, I check that pretty regularly. Um, would love to get some feedback from you guys and see if you guys are enjoying what we're pumping out. If you, there's a direction you'd like us to take, something that we missed, um, we'll take any feedback we can get. So that's a bit. That's a that's a bit on the housekeeping. Um, I want to jump off. Um, over the weekend, there were some. Uh, I know that this podcast is not completely or in any way really related to. Um, you know, the combat sports realm, but we have talked, we have talked on talked upon it a little bit in previous episodes, especially the Sunny Listen episode. Um, so over the weekend, there was a UFC event. I just wanted to, to touch on real quick, UFC 289 that took place in Vancouver. Um, and in the main event, um, Amanda Nunez uh, defeated Irene Aldana um, over, over five rounds. Errol, I gotta tell you, this was an absolute beat down. I mean, I was astonished that I mean it's it's not astonishing that Amanda Nunez did what she did because she's just that she's just that kind of fighter. But like this was just an absolute just a blistering beatdown. It was it was it was pretty rough to watch. I mean, um, but I guess more more importantly though, she did retire after um defending her Bantamweight championship. Um, so I wanted to uh pay a little homage to her career because dude i don't know she the, the people somehow evade the topic of her not like people dispute that she's the, the greatest female fighter of all time and i just don't understand it what, what do you think are, are you one of those people do you think that she's like overrated or, or anything of that nature? i do no i don't believe she's overrated and i think the end of that last fight shows exactly why she's not. I feel like her, you know, the opponent thought that she was overrated, just came in, came in swimming on her, you know, just left, right, left, right. And then she just, you know, stood back, stood back, stood back, boom, just landed one on her. Yeah. I mean, she, she was, uh, this performance was like incredible. I mean, it was just five rounds of, and she just, um, Aldana just could not get anything going on her, but, but anyway, we, this is not a UFC podcast today, but I did want to touch upon her career and I wanted to go through her resume really quick, um, before we get rolling, just to, just to pay a little homage to it, because you got to hear some of these victories in her career. Like, listen to this resume really quick. So she has wins. Oh, she has two wins over Jermaine Durand, which is, I mean, that's an, that's incredible on its own. She has two wins over Valentina Shevchenko. Ooh. Right. Um, she beat Misha Tate in her prime. She knocked out Ronda Rousey in her prime. Ooh, that's she, yeah. She, this is what I'm saying. She beat Chris Cyborg, knocked her out in the first charged her in yeah. the first round. She beat she knocked out Holly Holm in the first round. That's every that's 
that's all, all the greats. That's all the greats. That's what I'm saying. That's all. I can't think of anyone who anyone else who she hasn't like proved herself. Yeah, to, like as, or needed in, to. In terms of of like the women's game, yeah, that's that's pretty. I mean, she does have losses. They were pretty early in her career when she was in Strike Force and Victa, and then one to Kat Zingano. She avenged the. She lost to Juliana Pena and then avenged that. She finishes her career at 23 and five as an overall record. Um, she retired as the ban- women's UFC women's bantamweight and UFC women's featherweight champion, which is kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not a real division. The featherweights, there's not, there's like, I don't even think they have rankings, but I mean, either way, just an astonishing career, like genuinely a, a world-class career, especially for women's combat sports. She, she was as far as I'm concerned, I've always considered her to be the greatest. I don't know how there's any dispute about that. She basically, she lost once in like, like almost 10 years. <laughs> like she, like she lost exactly one time since 2014 and that, and then she avenged it like immediately. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, that's the greatest female fighter I ever saw. And I wanted to just pay a little respect to what was an unbelievable career. If she does stay retired, then that is, that is an unbelievable career. So, Oh yeah, no, absolutely. She has nothing to prove to me. At least if I, if she did have something to prove to me, I would not tell her to her face. That is hundred percent. No, she's actually a really nice person too. You hear like interviews. She's very like kind of soft-spoken and like very smiley, just very nice person. But um, for a fighter, that's great to see. Most fighters are kind of like that though, to be honest. I'm really, uh... When you're honestly, um, a lot of people, um, I've done like a little bit of combat sports, nicest people nicest people ever that you know why they have nothing to prove they have zero yeah. thing to prove to you they don't have any pompous like oh i can be they know what they can do true yeah it's true so there's no no kind of posturing I, i'm telling you uh nine times out of ten unless they're like relatively new to the sport most chill people you'll meet are fighters they get all the aggression out on the mat they and they know that if you came at them they're comfortable with what they've been training to do so true yeah yeah so i, I figured that was an interesting um contribution just because it's topical it's what happened over the weekend in the uh, world of combat sports and we do talk a little combat sports on this podcast when we get the chance to and when it's appropriate um but we'll move away from that now and um finish up the housekeeping here i did want to plug an episode of i know i in one of the previous episodes i believe it was our our pilot episode on the thing which uh please feel free to go back and check that episode out that was our first episode and we had a bunch of fun talking about that movie um, but I did plug another podcast in that in that episode, um, All the Right Movies uh, podcast. It's a, They have a website. You can check them out at alltherightmovies.com. They have a Twitter. Um, they do stuff on Instagram and Snapchat. They're pretty, pretty active on all that stuff. They released an episode, um, a brand new episode on their podcast, on their platform, um, regarding the 2007 classic, There Will Be Blood. Um, it, they did a great job. Yeah, I was watching like the first uh, first couple like minutes of that. I, I think up to like around twenty minutes, and then I got busy. But that was a good movie. Great breakdown from what I heard so far. But that is, a, I say, good movie. But can I think we've discussed this before? That might very well be like the best movie of the uh, like e- easily like the uh, of this like century. 20, yeah, of the twenty first century, no problems. Yeah, yeah, well, I think that's um, yeah, not too. Uh, you know, a little inside baseball. One day we're going to probably do a, a 21st century best films ranking show. Um, and that, you know, that might, that might wind up some, if it's not at the top of that list, it might wind up somewhere near it um, for sure. But uh, those guys did yeah. a great job of breaking that film down uh, front to back, getting through the plot and 
they had a lot of great tidbits on it. Great movie um, and a great podcast. So check those guys out, allrightmovies.com. Um, you can check that they're on Apple, they're on Spotify, they're everywhere you can find them. Um, so give them a listen. Um, I guess recent films, since the uh, Wendy Carlos story does touch upon, it kind of intersects two of our, our, our series all at once. Um, she's a musical composer, so um, and she did score films, uh, a few of them. So I figured we might as well talk about, uh, let's just pump in a couple of things that I've been watching. And Errol, if there's anything you've been watching, we can pump those in as well. I, uh, My wife and I just recently watched two films by David Fincher. Um, you know, Fincher's got an unbelievable catalog of films. Uh, we watched Gone Girl from 2014, which was wild. I mean, okay. I mean, just watch. If you haven't seen it, um, we may do a podcast on that one day because it is a, I mean, it's a shocking thriller. It's it's excellent. And there's moments in the film that are, you know, there's twists and turns that, that you, you just don't see coming. And there are moments of graphic violence that you don't see coming that are, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a fun I haven't, to watch. It's dark, but it's great. I haven't seen it, but I haven't really heard a lot of bad things about it. So. Yeah, it was huge when it came out in 2014. Um, but the other one that we we actually watched by Fincher was also a huge hit in 2010, I believe. Um, and that was the uh, the Social Network. I don't know if you saw oh, that. Okay, yeah, yeah with the, I didn't watch. I didn't see that either. But that's the old uh, Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yep. It's the story of Facebook, um, which. You know, it's it's actually interesting about him about Fincher is that like he kind of did that twice in his career where he like he did that with Fight Club um, back in '99 where like he kind of will release a film in the midst it'll be about a cultural thing or a cultural phenomenon that's going on and he kind of like releases a film that like is a really good commentary on it in the middle of it in the middle of it happening instead of like you know most people make f- films about stuff that's important after the fact right and he kind of gets his timing down just right yeah no like very topical for the era right so like yeah you make a a movie about facebook in 2010 like facebook's in the it's in its like climactic stage of build to like very uh, like super cultural significance um at least on its way up that roller coaster but uh that's a great film we watched that really has it it really seems like he has his finger on the pulse of society Bingo. And he sure does. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. That's that you put it exactly the way I was trying to put it and right on the nose. Um, so yeah, that was uh those were the two films. We just actually finished up, I'll throw this one out there too. We just finished finished up a um a film by uh David Cronenberg called Eastern Promises. Okay. Um, pretty you would appreciate the shit out of this movie. I, I don't I, if you haven't heard of it, never you, yeah, no, never heard. No, you would like it a lot. It's I've very, heard of Cronenberg though. Yeah, he's the he's the body horror guy. He did like yeah. the um and uh the dead zone i think he did videodrome like those like body horror classics from the 80s so um he's 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 been around a long time but eastern promises was gary vigo mortensen um watertown alum um he plays like a russian boy yeah he plays a russian like mafioso um which was it's 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 like a very dark film but it's it's great it's really good it was it held up unbelievably that was from back in 2007 so um so yeah feel free to check any of those out we uh you know those are i wanted to include those those are the best of the things that i've seen recently um as far as uh music uh a couple albums actually we'll just go with the one album one album that did come out that was um quite excellent um i've heard it only once front to back but i it's always good 
uh, an album called The Weather Veins by Jason Isbell and the 400 unit. Um, this dude's just an amazing, like alt country folk uh, songwriter. Everything he puts out usually is pretty good. And this was no different. It was excellent. So those are my recommendations for the week in the two categories that Wendy Carlos intersects on. Um, Errol, what do you say we take a quick break? We'll bounce right back. When we get back, you want to talk, um, you want to do a little recap of the previous episode? Yeah, we'll run that back and then we'll get right into it. Love it. Let's do it. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with you guys in just a short minute. And then we will, uh, we'll talk our previous episode, gunfighter ballads and trail songs. That's our third episode. We're going to talk about that and do a little recap and then we'll move into the content of the day. So see you in a few. Thanks for listening. BRB. podcast so uh before we get into today's content we got just a little bit more to talk about uh i wanted to take a few minutes at most just to talk about our previous podcast um one we released last week was on the um country classic record from the 1950s i believe 1959 by marty robbins um that album's called gunfighter bells and trail songs errol and i kind of pieced that thing apart uh, track for track, went over the stories, the lyricism, the, the imagery, um, the sound, the instrumentation. Um, we teased that whole thing apart and gave our, you know, our two cents on it, our peripheral views, if you will. And, so much um, fun. It was yeah, so it was much great. fun. It was a blast. It was a blast. And it's a really good album, too. And, it, and we said this a million times in the podcast, but it was so true that we, uh, we I just had a blast. I, don't, I know you did, too, Errol, like, actually it was like not work taking on that album because it was so much enjoyment in actually listening to it over and over. Oh yeah. But um, anyway, was there anything that you wanted to, um, you know, uh, readdress from that, uh, from that episode, anything we missed? And no, not that I can really, uh, not that I can really think of, man. Yeah, no, me either. I actually thought we did a pretty good job of um, pinning down anything. I'm sure there's a lot of things we didn't obviously hit everything about the album but everything that i wanted to talk about i think we we covered um so if that's the case for you then we can move into the podcast of the day what do you think oh yeah no i'm i'm right ready all right let's oh wait no i I wanted to um i did want to apologize for that uh for that joke (laughs) the joke about the day the music died that wasn't 
Oh no 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 no! You owe, you owe so much more than an apology for that. In fact, <laughs> I wanted to say something. <laughs> I need. I couldn't just let that. No, there's nothing I want to say. Let's move on to the. Nope, that was a uh, that was in bad taste. But that, uh, was, that was that was no. It's not about it's not about the taste. It's just the quality. I mean, you just gotta you gotta level up. <laughs> wait, wait, no, hold on, hold on. Okay, I I challenge you on that because what do you okay. mean quality? Um, I said their fuel was running bare. That is a song by the Big Bopper. Then their plane was going faster than a roller coaster. Buddy Holly. Buddy Holly. And then it the plane turned into La Bamba. Oh, you know what? That that entire that second half of the joke flew over my head because I actually don't think I heard you hit the La Bamba. Um, yeah, because you were already okay. just so disgusted. You once you realized I was I'll give that one to you. No, you deserve that. You no, deserve- no, don't. It's it. I'm sorry that I said <laughs> no, 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 it. I'm no. sorry I said it again. I should have just nope. We were past it. Well, it was better than I thought. I'm actually glad we covered this again because I actually I only heard the first two and I was like, oh my god, this is this is. You just were already rolling your eyes. Well, it's it's not even that. It's just like two is well, two is actually not bad either. If you're gonna hit two, you know, double uh, double references to uh, a, a couple of dead artists, like that's not bad. But you go for three, you deserve you deserve a little praise. I, I would recant that apology if I were you. Actually, I think it's I think it's actually pretty good work. Okay, yeah, no, I'm a sad story. Uh, now you guys know three songs by those guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Running you Bear. You definitely didn't beforehand either. Yeah. <laughs> a okay, uh, rest in peace, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Since, so, I mean, it's a little, it's, yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's like saying rest in peace to like, to like, you know, uh, to Lincoln. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, a little late for that. If they're not doing it by now, then they're probably... Your, yeah, they I mean, just yeah. Pay, you can pay your respects. Well, what if they, you know, if someone was on the fence? I'm I'm here for you. Yeah. Well, if you're interested in those artists, go back and check out Buddy Holly, uh, The Big Bappa, and uh, Richie Valens. Is that right? Richie Valens? Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great Who's art? your favorite out of the three? Richie Valens, by far. Oh, uh, man. Buddy Holly, man. Really? Not, not even close. Not even honestly, close. Buddy Holly, he had good. He had good music. I'm not. I'm not to say that it's you know that I'm. I just. I felt like Buddy Holly is like like he's a pioneer in his own right, but like, I don't know. It felt like that music kind of disappeared into a lot of other music that sounded like it, and the, he kind of sounded like the Everly Brothers, which okay. I think is like a better version. No, I'm, of Buddy I, Holly. I'm. I'm hearing. I'm hearing you out now, and like I guess like uh, so I would. I put Big Bopper probably third at least from that because he had like the least like kind of impact. I didn't even know about him until like you know. I yeah, think. I'm not gonna pretend like I'm actually. Like, yeah, you know, I'm like not into really lace. Yeah, their music, their catalog is like not something that I'm like. Yeah, she's my extremely money. familiar Spend with. My money. Yeah, I was. Uh, it's a very very old song. That's why his name's the Big Bopper. But La Bamba, it, it definitely a more timeless song than a. That's the best song Bamba. that any one of them has produced, as far as I'm concerned. But I'm sure that once again, this is it's, it's silly dialogue because I feel. What's like the I, lyrics? What's that? What's the lyrics for La Bamba? I mean, they're all in Spanish, and if well, you expect me to just just them. asking. Your well, favorite song. It's, it's the best song well if you hear it though it's is it not the most noted like the most notable? yeah it's no, by right. far it's... the most famous like when you hear la bamba like you know that song like everybody knows that song whereas like 
Yeah, like everyone, like beyond, like yeah, that's like yeah, it kind of transcends, like yeah. American I was gonna say culture. it's like definitely international, like but like, and it's not to say Buddy Holly didn't have those kind of songs, like you know, Every Day is probably similar. It's probably closest to being as famous, but La Bamba is, in my opinion, way more famous, way more. I would right? Okay, well, hey, that's a that's a that's a whole other podcast right there on its own but uh listen if you wanted to uh check out um you know where that reference comes from from our previous podcast uh feel free to jump back and be sure to check out our previous episode on the western country classic like marty robbins um the aforementioned um that episode's available in full um on all the major uh, podcasting platforms including apple Podcasts, spotify soundcloud um we posted on twitter um and all of the uh and our Contact info is as such uh, soundcloud.com peripheral views one two three um, at peripheral v one two three on Twitter and uh, just throw us in the search bar on your Apple Podcast or Spotify account and we should yeah, pop um, up pretty quick. I had a hard time uh, finding it. Just scroll down a little bit, look for a little yellow uh, yellow mic. We'll be hanging in there. At least that's, that's what it us. is for now. Yeah, yeah, that's our graphic for now, which will probably it'll probably update at some point down the road. But for now, just look for the yellow mic and the yellow logo. Um, by the way, I actually selected that or created that um, as a homage to uh, Quentin Tarantino. The, the, the yellow font, I should say. Oh, okay. I was going to say how. Yeah, I have never shared that of... with you, but yeah, like I wanted it to look like Pulp Fiction almost. or um... Pulp Fiction, peripheral vision. And kind of, <laughs> no, never, never mind. <laughs> yeah, let's, the, we're, we're going to stop right there. <laughs> Excellent work. Um, so yeah, that's... Um, like I said, when you check us out and you do see that little yellow logo, that little yellow graphic, um, subscribe and hit that notification button to be alerted for further releases. With that being said, let's jump in, Errol. What do you say we take one more quick break and then we're going to dive in to Wendy Carlos and her story. Um, so if you hang right, hang in there, we'll be back with you in just a minute and we will uh, continue on the podcast. Thanks for listening. back to the peripheral views podcast uh this is our fourth episode it's the number two in our biography series and today we're talking wendy carlos uh wendy carlos is an american musician and composer um she's known basically and almost entirely for her pioneering work um for electronic music and film scores um she's she's 
she worked with like transistors for the most part um and it was very experimental in her synthesized music um she became pretty famous for um making music making classical music in the form of like synthesized um electronic scores they're like very very much um a product of a time gone by for thor um but they a lot of them have you know and we'll get we'll get into more detail about it but they a lot of them do date pretty well and some of them not so much um we'll, we'll dive I'll, into the, the, a lot of the detail i'm sorry go ahead arrow oh no I, I was gonna say i'll tell you what though there's a lot of uh as i was listening to uh you know all the albums i can get my hands on for like free because i wasn't gonna you know mm -hmm. it's she's a little obscure um i had a hard time finding some of the stuff but yeah. there are some just little sound bites that like you said are timeless i hear them in you know the day-to-day -day stuff like it hasn't changed that much there's a lot of like spooky sure. like spaceship noises yeah. um there's like there's just a lot of like little stuff that's um that's held up with time and it's it's been a staple for so long that it's almost like uh it's it, it's been a staple for so long and it's been used so much that it, it doesn't really seem old but it was practically pioneered by like her and a couple other people alone yeah like, they were the uh like pioneer is a true way to describe it because they it truly uh, is and yeah and as I, I remember reading it she did do some um composing or assistant composing with leonard bernstein who is like an icon of like um you know of like composition music like he is an unbelievable like he's a he's a pillar we'll call him a pillar because he's he did scores for films like way back um and was just yeah, I mean, and she worked alongside him. Uh, I believe he's responsible for West Side Story. Uh, I'd have to be, I'd have to double check Jeez. that. But like, yeah, like that's a movie to be. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, well, it was a musical when he yeah believed, but um, you know, I I'd have to double check to make sure that that's accurate. I'm pretty sure it is, but he's um, you know, he's he's an icon, and he he had Wendy Carlos alongside him at some point. Um, while she while she was in uh, college, it looks like. Um, yes, I'm correct. He did West Side Story. Big deal. I mean, really. Likely, uh, likely when she went to Columbia. Then. Yes, yes, that's right. Yep, it looks like that's that's exactly where the uh, intersection of of talents was um, took place right at Columbia University. But uh, so diving into her backstory a little bit, she was born and raised in Rhode Island, specifically Pawtucket. Um, uh, we will say let's let's as a disclosure let's jump right into like the elephant in the room. She was born. Um, she was born Carlos. Uh, I'm sorry. She was born Walter Carlos um, as a biological male, and then um, later transitioned. Um, do you have the date in which she transitioned, Errol? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was May 1972. And 72, I think, right. Yep, and I think a good thing to note is. Uh, as far as the uh, gender dysphoria, um, she was quoted as to saying uh, she felt, you know, like she was a little girl as early as five or six. Like she knew something was up. She preferred having long hair. She preferred like feminine toys and stuff. And there it wasn't. And so here's the thing, like gender, if you ask me, is absolutely a spectrum. So what I mean by that is whether you are male or female or anything in between. Um, it's a spectrum. Like you lie on that scale, uh, with the amount of different 
you know, different uh, like chromosomes and like uh, like DNA combinations that can go on. You're telling me that like it's obscure for like someone to uh, have like you know blue hair, brown eyes, this, this, or that. But like the second it comes down to uh, something a lot more complicated, like you know sexuality and like gender identity, that that's not a coin flip as well. Like that's not like we're born how we are for the most part. You will get influenced by outside factors, but I really think it's so disingenuous. Like the movement, anything like anti-LGBTQ plus is really disingenuous because it's the these people feel this way for a long time. It's like it's the same feelings as like me and you have. Like you know what I mean? Uh, not to not to rant too too much on it, but uh, it's. You don't get a choice, is what I'm saying. You're dealt the hand. You're dealt the hand that you're dealt, and you need to adjust to that. And that's a lot easier for some people than it is others. And I really, really feel for her. I really, yeah, do. no, yeah. And I, I actually, um, I probably lie somewhere. Like my, my, you know, and I hate. It's not so much that it's because um, unfortunately these these issues always wind up becoming political, um, in some you know un, unnerving and frustrating capacity. Um, I, I have complicated opinions regarding this um, specifically, um, not so much, and it's not so much in that, um, it's not so much in that I, it frustrates me as well to see like the country having such a, a friction, um, a, a sense of friction with this community. Um, it's more so, it's it's double things. It's like that, and like, because you get a lot of dis, like you said, there's so much dis, disingenuous um dialogue from the opposition to transgender rights or transgender issues in the country um mm -hmm. and then but there well, parallels I also, I also do see a lot of i do see a lot of disingenuous behavior on on the same on the other side too um i think there's a lot of like because things become a movement they, they get complicated you know right. i think whereas like there's there's a lot of times where you can get a bunch of people bandwagoning on yeah. that cause that might right. not be like, yeah it's, it's detrimental to causes like it's oh, yeah. detrimental to any kind of cause well that's uh th that happens every single time though there's parallels to this in every yeah. single other you know women's rights black right. rights now where i mean we're still not really <laughs> people are still misogynistic people are still racist yeah and that's of course right. people right now are like it's okay in some spaces to be openly transphobic well it's okay in some spaces to be openly racist and it's okay in some spaces yeah, to yeah that stuff openly that stuff misogynistic is, there's a lot of progress to be made still and there's a lot of progress that obviously has already been made but there's there's room for growth in this country for sure i think um, there's room for growth in everyone and not to be too sappy but i earnestly believe if we want to make this country better it's going to start with with self-development we, if you want, honestly, my, my true advice, if you want to make everything a better, better place is, uh, work on yourself and work on your community, put yeah. yourself in a good spot to where you can build up everything around you. And then once you're doing the best that you can for your community, there's really not a lot more that you can really do. I mean, you can move on to the state maybe, and that's how you gain traction. Uh, you know, the political movement, stuff like that. You really, uh, grassroots stuff. It sounds, it starts from the ground. It starts from the grass. You got to. There's no, we're not everyone's not just going to log on to Facebook one day and say, we need to do a all out worker strike and then just, nope, not that serious. But, you know, you got to, you got to, you got to get a, you got to get community and then you got to get a, you got to get pride in the community. Then you get pride in the, the county. Then you get pride in your state and then you get pride in the country. 
we get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like you know, I see a lot of like commentary, and, and we won't dwell too long on the you know the politics. We want to move into the content. Everyone just be better people, right? But I, I do see a lot of, and, and this will be one of my closing comment comments about the issue, especially the transgender issue in the country right now, is that I do see like it is a rising issue, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of. Um, what you just said is so true. Like people need to like localize their efforts um, in, in terms of making their, their personal lives better, making their um, communities better, their local communities better. Um, that starts with a little bit of toleration. That also starts with mm-hmm. a little bit of, um, cause I'm a centrist at heart. Like that's just where I lie politically. Cause I just see so much, I see so much um, destructive behavior on both sides. It's like, Dude, like, and I hear these like boycotts, especially right now, and it is June twelfth, twenty twenty three. Uh, just to date the uh, the podcast, I see conversations about boycotting Target and like Bud Light and all of these, and like, I get that they can be a little na- nauseating to be, you know, to have identity politics like crammed down your throat. But like, I don't understand the idea that you would want to boycott Target is is absurd to me because. of people of shoppers in Target are just looking to get milk and eggs and some socks. Like they don't care. Like people don't care as much as they're not like the average American is if you're if you've got and like you said, if you've got your things together, you're not paying because I know this. I I just I'm not really in touch with American politics. So it's it's kind of um, for me, it's become an issue of like like I'm just I'm worn out with it especially the identity politics on both sides are like very, like they're excruciatingly um, frustrating. And like, it's, it's, you know, it's, they're stagnating for, uh, for true progress. So for me, it's just like, I, I just, I totally, I couldn't agree more with your sentiment that like, if people just focused on themselves and making themselves better and making their local communities better, they wouldn't get wrapped up in what target and Bud Light are advertising. It wouldn't be. And maybe they, if they spent a little less time in front of the TV, it wouldn't bother them so much. Well, that's, that's exactly it. Um, That's kind of the lesson I've been learning slowly by like kind of uh, diving into the podcast, diving into these plays. I don't really have as much time. Um, I mean, you noticed I couldn't really, I didn't really add anything to the movies or the music. I haven't really, I, I've just been out right. of the community, man. It's beautiful. It's great. It's a great thing. And I'm to personalize. I actually have had a note to personalize the podcast in a little way, just so our, our listeners can get a little bit of an idea of who we are. And um, this is a great opportunity to do that. And like, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm, I'm, I work full time. I work probably 50 plus hours every week or somewhere in that ballpark. I'm a full-time student, which is 20 to 30 hours a week. I have, uh, I have two very young daughters. I'm, you know, I have responsibilities from home, home ownership and from, and for raising my daughters. Like it's a, it's a hellacious schedule of, of work and productivity. And it's actually one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me personally, because I, I just don't have time for, I don't have time to get wrapped up in things that just frustrate and anger me. And then I, it makes you realize those things just don't matter. You don't need to, yeah, you don't need to focus your energy on those. You can yeah, like put I, your effort I get, elsewhere. I don't need a YouTube, I don't need a pundit on YouTube to like gaslight me into a, into a, you know, a fever about, you know, identity politics that I don't, that don't really hit home for me. Like I am a, I, I work in a, uh, I work in a very poor um, minority setting. And like those people are my focus on a day to day. Like, 
I'm I'm helping my community. This is what I'm doing is I'm servicing a, a a very poor, poverse community full of minorities. And like, that's, that's my role. Like right now, that's what I'm, I'm focused on doing that for 50 hours. I'm focused on self-improvement with my education. Like these are the things that I don't really care what's going on with Target. Like <laughs> I just don't care. Um, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing to, it's a beautiful realization to have when, when you just, load your plate up with things that aren't politics. It can be, uh, it can be really enlightening. I'm glad to hear that you're doing the same. That being said, um, what do you think we should, we shift off politics or should we just, should we just abandon the Wendy Carlos story or just, 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 just straight on to, well, no, I was, um, I think, uh, yeah, no, we both had really good points. It's a, uh, sometimes, uh, yeah, the one takeaway it's relieving just to focus on other things. Sometimes it's not, and it's not illegal, man. You're not gonna, yeah. no one's going to jump down your throat. You can still have your opinions. If someone says something, maybe you'll find that they change though. Genuinely, yeah. like, like genuinely. Sure. Yeah, of course. People, people, and that is one of the, uh, one of the truest things in life is that people, people evolve, people devolve and uh, you just got to determine, you know, if you're along for the ride or not. So Mm -hmm. anyways, diving into Wendy Carlos, um, let's talk a little bit about her story. So like I said, she was born in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Um, She was uh, the first of two children born to working class parents. Her mother played the piano and sang. One uncle played the trombone. Another played the trumpet and drums. Um, she began piano lessons at age six, wrote her first composition, which is absurd at age 10. <laughs> yeah, she's, we've got a talent. That's, I mean, that's a talented individual for sure. Um, so she, uh, continued on. It looks like she began her collegiate education at Brown University, uh, graduating in music with a degree in music and physics. So this will come into play. This is important because she's not a theater kid who is focused on, um, you know, music theory by itself. It's not to say that that's not a component of who she who she was and who she is today, but it seems as though that like she really brought an interest in science and physics and technology, um, and specifically audio engineering to the occupation of of um, you know of musical composition. So that's a big that's a big um, that's a big point of of evolution for her. Um, but um, yeah, circling back into where she goes from there, um, after graduating from Brown, she then graduated from Columbia University with a master's degree. And like I said, it looks like and they're going to bring it up here on the Wikipedia page. She did. Uh, she assisted Leonard Bernstein in presenting an evening of electronic music at the Philharmonic Hall, which is a big deal. Super big deal. Oh, yeah. Um. So I don't know if it was missed just because. Uh, sorry about that. My dad. Uh... My dad uh, was enthusiastically uh, giving me a phone call. I had to just uh, let him down easily. Um, you're good, you're good. So um, you probably want to take a pause. Up. You want to take a pause? And- oh no, 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 no! I'm I'm good to go. Uh, I, right, I'll call him. Good. He lives in Hawaii, six hours back, where we got, got plenty you. of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, went to Brown for physics, uh, and then Columbia for music composition. Very smart girl. Yes. Indeed. Like she it's uh it's one thing oh, yeah. just to go to college for music or one thing just to go to college for physics, but for her to have such a grasp of one concept and then be like, oh, I kind of want to go back to my roots truly, and then find that medium, it's almost like it was, you know, it was made to happen. It was a match made in heaven. It couldn't happen to a uh 
it, it couldn't have happened to like a better person. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, we and, were very lucky that she had those interests at the yeah, time. And, and what she did was like, and this is where the impact is 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 like this is where the the title of pioneer is is earned in 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 a big way. So she uh, worked with a gentleman by the name of Robert Moog, um, and at the 1964 Audio Engineering Society show. Um, when she meets him, they develop a relationship, um, and as what, what seems to be not not a romantic one, but well, uh, yeah, you you partner. said you said relationship and partnership, but that I think that might be doing it a misjustice. Um, yeah, she felt a coupling of the gods here. Yes, world. they were very, very like in sync, like very like minded to the point where the first time they met, um. Wendy Carlos uh, was quoted to say uh, it was a, a meeting of a uh, sympat or simpatico minds uh, like mm -hmm. like he were my older brother, perhaps. Um, wow. Wow. That's it good. was a it was a perfect fit. Uh, he was a creative engineer who spoke music. I was a musician who spoke science. It was a literal match made in heaven. Yeah. They uh, they both could talk to each other in you know the ways of music and the ways of science and they both thoroughly enjoyed what they were doing it seemed like they were really excited like they knew that they were at the at the cusp of greatness you know what i mean yeah. they're like we yeah, are going to dig like, into this and it looks like um specifically he is attributed with the um and we'll get into this this is this is where a big part of the story here um, they develop, I say they, but it, it's mostly, it looks like he's probably attributed to the, to the overall invention of this, um, the Moog board, the Moog. Yeah. The, the, uh, is it Moog or Moog? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I yeah. I went Moog with it's, two, um, but it's spelled M O O G synthesizer is a mod. It's the Mog. It's the yeah. Mog board. Is it Mog? Okay. Yeah. That's perfect. But, uh, so he, he did, he invents it, um, alongside Wendy Carlos and she did have, um, I mean, she, he was guided by her and a few other musicians and composers. So um, he was he didn't develop it alone. But this piece of, of music equipment was um, it's an analog synthesizer concept. Um, but this modular synth synthesizer includes voltage controlled oscillators, amplifiers, filters, envelope generators, noise generators, ring modulators, triggers and mixers. So this thing is an and if you see uh, if, if you have a minute while you're listening, Pull up an image of the 1975 Mog Modulator 55 system. It's an unbelievable piece of, of music equipment, and it really genuinely looks like what electronic music is made on today, but just smaller and obviously a lot less. I mean, this would this would be a you know a physical. It's it's not digital, right? So like yeah. the, the sounds being developed are not digital, whereas like you could probably all of these sounds and and um all this music that comes out of this instrument could be developed in a digital format now but for the time this thing looks i mean it looks like there are just so many different options for pitch and voltage changing right so i i do think this thing was um it really actually didn't just change the shape of of like film scores and musical composition but just generally music right so that is that is a kind of my point when I I hold her I hold her as the mother of synth. So when I say that, Love it. we wouldn't be where we are right now in music without without her in the trenches. Um, 
I'm talking just figuring out what pitches make what kind of sounds. Hey, what does that kind of sound like? She, all right. So she granted it's um I don't think it's like that far of a stretch, but she heard like white noise, just the basic, and she's like, all right, that's kind of uh almost useless, but it almost sounds like a shore. You know, it almost sounds like waves crashing on the beach. Right. So, yes. You would have to go in, you would have to oscillate it, you'd have to modulate it, uh, yep. switch up the voltage to create a, a uh, what's the what's the word, like a, um, like a homonatic sound to, you know how hard that'd be, like just working with the, trying to just make a sound that kind of sounds like, I don't know, like a bell or like a clarinet. Or, right. And then, but she was the one who well, her and, you know, a couple of, she worked with a lot of other people too. Uh, in, uh, I believe in Colombia was uh, Otto uh, uh, Luning, maybe. And then Vladimir uh, Usa. Dijewski. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So a lot of like actual like composer people. Uh, oh, Uzachevsky, uh coming from, uh, not coming from, but uh, he uh, went to the Eastman uh, School of Music in Rochester. Right? Rochester. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people upstate, man. Well, even even uh, Bernstein, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, not Bernstein, but Robert Moog. Robert Moog. He actually he went Brooklyn. Even uh, no, he actually went to Cornell, I believe, as well. Which is no. So his his alma mater was Bronx High School of Science, Queens uh, College, uh, Columbia University, and then yeah, Cornell. He stayed right around here. Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. Like, um, so that that localizes the story a little bit for us because we are we are right here in. Uh, we're right here. Well, I'm in Syracuse and Errol's up in Watertown, but we're in the uh, central northern New York area. Um, he actually, this is interesting. He, uh, Moog or Mog, is it Mog or Moog? What are we? Mog. Mog. Okay, let's go Mog. We're going to say Mog. Mog received a grant of $16,000 from the New York State Small Business Association and began work in Trumansburg, New York, not far from the Cornell campus. So that's down in Ithaca. That is, uh, so that's like a hotbed of like a lot of folk music too. So he's kind of marrying two, um, you know, two music cultures in one location. It's interesting to see where that goes. Um, but uh, this, this, this particular invention of music really did shape the way that music was done, especially in film. But, um, you know, we're going to pump in some sound, um, but let's, let's move a little bit ahead in the story with that, because I do want the listeners to be able to get a, get a sound attached to what this piece of instrumentation sounds like. Um, and with that, we're going to move into 1968 and we're going to talk about Wendy Carlos's first album. Um, this is, um, this is an important part of her story specifically because it it really kind of jumpstarts her um, her career in general as a as in, in the world of music specifically. Yeah, um, and it's also like the start of like uh, it's like right around the transition. Um, right. Yeah, nineteen sixty eight. So we're a little bit short, but she's I believe she's she's beginning to take um, she's taking horm she's receiving hormonal treatment. I believe at this time in sixty eight. Yes, and still feeling very much. Uh, not comfortable no in her own skin if i'm if i'm not mistaken not to like you know assume too much but at this point um yeah she was still i think she was still doing interviews uh in the as walter like masculine presenting at the very least um relatively um like effeminate voice you could kind of see her like yeah if you watch to be 
yeah you want to like you see her like wanting to be herself but uh not to skip ahead too much but i believe there's an interview in like 1972 if i'm not mistaken or Mm -hmm. something like that where she's uh it's one of her most like uh candid interviews and she uh it's it must be like right around the transition but she still chooses to wear the sideburns to kind yeah. of more yeah, that's the video I was actually just referring to. She she did an interview specifically about um about oh, the oh, yeah. modulator, about the synthesizer. She oh, was talking so sorry. To... Yeah, glad it's topical, but so sorry to interrupt. No, yeah, it's perfect. Um so yeah, let's move into that album. We're gonna take a short break and we're gonna introduce a little bit of that music now. Uh it's called the first album is called Switched On Bach. And by switched on, that's gonna be switched uh dash on Bach. And that's in reference to um the classical um the classical composer Johann Sebastian Bach. And it's gonna be performed on this mod modulator or modular synthesizer, I should call it. Uh, by Wendy Carlos, and it's it's a very interesting sound. Here's a little bit of that now. We'll take a short break, take a peek at what it sounds like so you get an idea of what we're discussing today on the podcast, and we'll be right back to discuss it further. So hang tight, give it a listen, and we'll see you in a few. Okay, that was a sample from Switched On Bach by Wendy Carlos. Uh, that was released in 1968. Uh, pretty big album in her career. Uh, her first studio album, uh, the debut studio album. Um, it was at this point, I believe she was still at that time. It's retroactively been corrected for the record. But um, I believe at that time she was, um, it was released under her birth name, Walter Carlos in October 1968 by Columbia Records. Um, Errol, what do you think of this? Uh, what you originally this was um, this was your suggestion as a as a to- or her story was your suggestion as a topic to cover. So um, I assume that this was a part of that story. What was your first introduction to this uh, to this music? Um, definitely, uh, we're we're looking at the movies. We're looking at the Clockwork right. Orange. We're looking right at The Shining. 
um didn't really listen to a lot of the other stuff until i started digging down into it but the first her first debut let's talk about that because we're here um mm-hmm. right after it was released uh it was the 12th annual grammys just getting cooking yep. three of those grammys she got for the i'm pretty sure it was switched on Bach, just the original the first yeah. one yeah, and yeah. it's right and it makes sense because she absolutely changed the game. Like it's just something that was never heard before. I wonder if it, the Grammys knew that though. I wonder if they knew what an impact was going to be had on this. I mean, it, in the industry, it really didn't get um, a lot of the classical music traditionalists were like actually pretty negative about the, about the album. They had a negative response at least. And, um, but uh, I guess younger listeners were kind of where the uh, following was developed. And I, if you ask me, I believe this is right where she started getting the attention of these film directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, she was she was making waves because you have classical music that now, like, you gotta wonder as especially as a filmmaker. And we'll talk about we're gonna specifically dive in here after this section right into the Stanley Kubrick part of the story. Uh, Stanley Kubrick is at this point in 1968 just releasing 2001: A Space Odyssey, right? So that just came out, and if you've if you haven't seen the film, Errol, I know you have. Um, that film is full of classical music, so you knew this was going to hit his radar. Oh yeah, absolutely, and that's um, I think he might have been like really invested in that, and I I almost believe uh, when it came down to her having that choice between uh, the two uh, scores she was offered between uh, what was it marooned by uh, John Sturges and then a clockwork orange. Uh, I, I absolutely believe uh, in all the work she does. She only works with, or she really only works with people who are like as enthusiastic or at least can be as she is. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they uh, were like uh, kindred souls. They both had a really good idea of what they wanted. And um, with kind of a, this is probably one of the only little tangents that'll go on. I think I might have solved the mystery. Why though? Why uh, she was chosen for that? Well, let's get. Hold on. Before we go there, let's finish up on Switched On Bach because I, I. Okay. I'm, yeah. No. Fair enough. Put a put a feather in that though, because I do want to. I want to hear what you have to say about that because I'm you piqued my interest for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do want to hear. I want to get. I want to get into that. Oh yeah, we should. We should definitely list a, the Grammy she won for that, though. Yes, that's why I was actually you. You did exactly what I was. Um, you touching on exactly what I wanted to. Um, 1970, she won the um, the album Switch Down Bach won a Grammy for Best Classical Album, Best Classical Performance by an Instrumental Soloist or Soloists with or without Orchestra, and Best Engineered Classical Recording. So those are three. Um, it, those are all in the classical, um, which is interesting because the sound is ob- it's ob- very obvious when you listen to it that it is, in fact, classical music because it's being played note for note um, sh- on, on sheet music um, exactly in the in the manner in which Bach wrote the music. However, there's a sound to it that it doesn't inherently sound classical just by itself. Right. Because because very, of the synthesizer. Yes. Very. um almost what I was getting on to almost like a, it's like the uncanny Valley of music. True. Because right? you're, yeah. you're used to the music, you know what it's, but it's just a little bit different. It's yeah, just it almost, it's close enough, but there's something that's, it's robotic. It's, it's fake. It's not an orchestra. Like it, it almost, 
it almost like so in the true uncanny valley it's used to describe like when you see some something or like a humanoid like human like object or like a robot with like a plastic face you're like that looks kind of like a person but not but it's a it's a term used to describe the relationship between human like appearances of a robotic object and the emotional response it invokes um you could go farther than robotic object. Uh, sometimes there'll be like art depictions of uh, like, you know, humanoid creatures and you'd be like, that looks kind of human, but there's something weird about it. Uh, right. But yep. it, uh, it causes a, a feel of unease and uh, revulsion even by hearing that humanoid like almost unrealistic sound or seeing that thing, it, it triggers something in you. And I think with it being close enough to like, you know, music, but also having that little uh, feeling, which I also uh, I'll I'll hit on that too. What I think that feeling is, I I, got, I can dig I can dig into this because I it's I feel strongly about it and it hit me like a truck. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, I feel like just that uneasiness that you feel from it, but the similarity is just enough and it's just perfect for like a spooky movie. Yeah, yeah. And with that, like with that exact um, point, we're gonna dive. Let's let's dive into this next. Um, the next very, very important piece of work from Wendy Carlos. Um, it was, it, it, let's, I mean, it's, it's not that she didn't put out other music too. I should note um, before we dive into that, I just want to touch on, she did release another studio album, a second studio album, and that was called Well-Tempered Synthesizer. I had a hard time actually getting my hands on this album to listen to it. Um, however, that being the case, um, let's dive in if you happen to find it give it a listen because i believe as far as what i read about the album it's it's much in the same vein as switched on Bach. so i don't know that there's a big gap between those first two um those first two studio albums by her um but with that we're going to pass on by that album um and we're going to dive in to um the 1971 stanley kubrick very very controversial um and cult classic film a clockwork orange so give this a listen we're going to play for you guys the um some of the some of the most iconic um score one of the most iconic scores in film history and especially in this in this very very niche um instrumentation and in this way so um here's here's wendy carlos um playing the the main score i believe it's the let's see if i can get the actual the title music and this was written by we should also mention this was not just written by wendy carlos it is performed by her but it was she had a co-writer rachel rachel elkind who was her co-writer and she frequently collaborated with her um along the way but uh sit tight listen to this this is the title music from a clockwork orange from henry purcell's music for the funeral of
Okay, welcome back. That was the title music from A Clockwork Orange. Um, just an absolute terrifying piece of, of music. Um, the film is is terrifying and horrific in its own way. It is um it is lauded for a lot of the uh for a lot of reasonable um complaints in a lot of ways. There's for some the like, ultra violence. The ultra violence, the ultra ultra violence, yeah. The uh him and his droogs. Um before we dive into the into the music that Wendy Carlos produced for the film, let's quickly just touch on the film. Errol, you I, you've seen the film, of course. Uh, what, yeah. what do you think? Um, it is a it's a lot to take in. I watched it by myself. I was glad I did. Um, Not exactly date night. Yeah, wouldn't want to watch that with old mom and dad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you it's imagine sitting down, sitting down with like a. a a nice a, a date intro. and at the end you're like i hate to say it but i thought it was good <laughs> it was good man that's a good movie she's like i don't think we can talk anymore like, what are you talking about you don't watch it yeah because you can't if that's you hard to, oh, that i hated movie, it too i didn't like walk, it that was you don't leave the movie with your date right right like, after announcing you, the have, film. you have 10 minutes yeah. yeah i mean that's if you if if your date actually made it through the film which is let's just good. see how it goes let's just give it a, let's see what she's really about and like the special effects oh you gotta think yeah. special effects uh also the uh <laughs> the music man is light years oh, ahead yeah it really was and it and i remember seeing the film and, and the music it's so strange because the film is so shocking on its own that like the synthesizer the synthesizer I don't know what I, I was thinking about this a lot today. I don't know what came first. D is the music creepy because and, and strange and bizarre and all of the other adjectives that I'm, I'm, you know, evading right now by describing it. Is it because the film is that way? And I've now associated those sounds with like horror um, or, or does it, did that music and that synthesizer and that mod, and you're gonna die. You're gonna answer my question because I, I know you have the answer to this. Like, or does that synthesizer generally evoke those types of like um, emotions, which enhance the horrors of the film? You're goddamn right. I think I got an answer to this. Yeah, um, it's a right beautiful ahead. question, and I'm gonna answer the question as bluntly as I can. Uh, first off, I think it is the synthesizer that sets the tone. Um, in all the movies, you get a backdrop. You don't get, there's no, nothing going on with any of the characters. You just get an eerie vibe. Uh, that's uh, with The Shining, the start of The Shining. That's with the start of this. It's It sets the tone. And I think the reason for that is a little bit with the Uncanny Valley. Like I said, it's there's a familiarness to it, but it's not exactly that familiar. And I think the reason for that unfamiliarness is uh, due to uh, binarial frequencies. Okay. Can you do a little bit of uh, just explaining what binarial uh, frequencies are and uh, how, yes. how they did bear, that? Bear with me. Bear with me for one second because, yes, I had the uh, – a lot of people, if they've heard about this, uh, they've likely heard about it through the uh, Pokemon game. Uh, they had – there was a, almost like a, a creepy pasta, like a creepy myth about Lavender Town, and it had to do with binarial beats. Uh, even if you are familiar with the Pokemon series, then uh, you know that every town has a different kind of you know feel to it, feel vibe, and Lavender Town is spooky. So what they do is uh, they, they used because they had to switch up the tones just because of all of the uh, 
the problems that it was causing because outside of just like quote unquote psychosis what the uh or what the uh myth is leading or uh, is hinting about um it's known to cause headaches it's known to be uh, disorientating and the reason is is because it uh it's two tones it interprets like it's so all all the stuff that she's working with on that uh, Moog machine is a frequency so it's bouncing back and forth it's two tones harmonizing to make one note Right. Uh, the vibrations happens, there's like there's a vibration of frequency between the yeah, between each one and that's yes. producing this is where the physics background comes into play right so she yeah know. she knew well about that before and she was toying with some weird stuff and i think mm -hmm. some people knew about it yeah. so uh your brain will align with uh the tone like produced but uh it like just kind of knows that it's like a different frequency mm -hmm. like it's uh so if you're listening, it says, like, for example, if you're listening to a uh, 440 hertz tone with your left ear and a 444 hertz tone with your right ear, you'll be hearing a 4 hertz tone. You'll be hearing the difference. Oh, I see. I see. Perfect. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so they're getting the right tone, but it's the extremes of it. And your brain, like, subconsciously, you're like, what's going on? Like, it's and it sounds right, because it sounds perfect. But you're like, what the heck is going on? Um, They changed the lavender town song because uh the the myth is that they're uh, uh following the release of pokemon red and green there was a number of reported child suicides in japan like uh, teenagers oh, and like younger oh kids God. and that's the, japan does not play i'll tell you what if you look up statistics in japan they are like almost top of everything they are a clean cut society and you need to uh they have a lot of uh uh, kind of a lot of suicide rates because of like stress yeah. and stuff. But uh, yeah, they, uh, well, there's a lot of hold, pressure. There's a lot of social. Exactly, like, they hold themselves. Pressure. Yeah, they hold themselves to a really high standard. It's true. But um, during it, uh, the the story was, or how I remembered hearing it is, uh, and it sounds ridiculous. It's like you know a couple uh couple cops on the beat, and they're like, "Why are these kids killing themselves?" They're like, oh, they all, they all looks like they had Game Boys within like five meters of them or oh, something, Jesus. and then. They checked the save spots, and then all the save spots were our last oh. one was Lavender Town. What? And then they're like, <laughs> is, "Why is this, this going on?" Substantiated by criminal records, or is this? Like, I don't. I don't believe so. This sounds I believe like folklore. It's it's a hundred. I believe it's a hundred percent a wives' tale. But the yeah. reason why it's like been accentuated is because uh, one, they took it off and they switched it out because of like Nintendo is notorious. Even if there's a hint of controversy, they're going yeah. to skirt away from that because they're wholesome. They're like a, you know they're like the Disney of video games. Yeah, yeah, they're like um, clean cut, very G rated. And uh, but there is like a. Uh, some people think there's a positive effect to binarial tones. I know uh, some people will use it to like go to sleep like a fan. I prefer a fan. Mm -hmm. um, but like uh, other people swear that there's a negative effect. And I think if you think something is eerie and uh, you know you hear those binarial tones, you're going to have that eerie effect. It's going to uh, kind of like a bad trip. If you are yeah. like, you know, doing a, sure, a yeah. psychotic of choice and you think it's going to be bad and you're having those bad emotions, anything outside that's going to like affect you is going to be in like a negative light. So I, I like to think it's due to the frequencies and due to the binarial uh, tones. And I think Stanley Kubrick was like, this is spooky. And he might have known why he might have not known why, but I, I think I got my finger on it. And I that's yeah. why I don't like it. Well, I say that's why I don't like it. But I love it. <laughs> no, I, I love it. But that's why like. I was like, why is this weird? And I was like, there's no, a general uneasiness about the sound. And and you can't, you can never sit with it. And right. it's, I think that's what they, they didn't want you to sit with it. It's a spooky movie. Yeah. It's a well, weird it's, movie. It's like, you're supposed to be on edge. 
well, everything that happens in the film and speaking specifically, and we'll dive into the shining uh, coming up here in a few minutes, but like the uh, clockwork orange aspect is the entire, every scene in the film is developed. It's specifically targeting like your, by the way, not to mention, uh, you know, and, and I know this, this podcast, this specific episode is not about a clockwork orange, um, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to opt out in terms of spoilers uh, I mean, the film is like 60 years old, so if you haven't seen, yeah, it, that's kind of uh, if we're I, telling I you to go there, good on us. Statute yeah, of limitations on 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 spoilers on on a film that old, but whatever it is, um, the film is actually some of the content and some of the discussion of the film is about like the sensory system, right? Like it's specifically yeah. like and I'm, I'm referring to well, this, the guy. The guy literally gets censored at the end. Yeah, well, it he gets, doesn't get censored. His sensory system is like is basically like he's like he's his eyes are like raped by violence by scenes right. of violence and I, I i use that word deliberately raped and, and because there actually is forced a film but he is forced um by 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 hand to he's strapped into a chair and then they strap his they pull his eyes apart his eyelids apart using this like machine with like these little prongs that hold his eyelids open so he can't close them. And as they dry out, they slowly drop uh, small eye drops into the, over the eye to keep it, the moisture, you know, in within the eye. So his eyes don't dry out and he, they want it. They don't want him to lose his vision. They want him to keep seeing. And then they air, they actually, um, they show him through, pro, through a projector, the most violent and heinous crimes you can imagine on film that are and it's not just it's it's not theatrical it's actual like war crimes and such um and they force him to view ultra violence so like this attack this like terrorist attack on the sensory system is like very much um enhanced by this uneasiness that this this moog or mog um uh, synthesizer is producing and i'm reading here uh this is a component of that synthesizer the oscillators produce waveforms of different tones and overtones such as a bright full brassy sawtooth wave a thinner flute-like triangle wave a nasal reedy pulse wave and a whistle-like sine wave which i'm unfamiliar with um these waveforms can be modulated and filtered to produce more combinations of sounds subtractive synthesis this is exactly what errol's talking about where you're getting layers of harmonious and disharmonious um um basically waveforms that are so this the sounds aren't supposed to layer each other in harmonious ways they are and you have to know that like and this is i have a very rudimentary understanding of this and i don't mean to sound expertise about it because I'm, I'm not and i'm purely speculating here but i would imagine that most music can be chalked up into a, like a mathematical you can get you can get a bit of synchronization using math like music theory is entrenched in this type of math and so I think what does happen in a lot of um, music theory is that you you might, and especially in, in this specific piece of machinery, this synthesizer, maybe the math checks out in terms of the, like a balance sheet or, or sheet music, but there's something about the vibrations and the frequencies of those notes that isn't, that doesn't sound like they belong together, but they mathematically might. Yeah, no, I think you're right, and I think it uh, it's one of those things is it's a uh, technically correct, but right. Like, you know, so like, there's like, like distortion. Like why... There's distortion that like 
that's that disconnects from maybe the math component or the synchronization component or the harmony the harmony you, component of the music itself you want to be at ease your body naturally wants to you know find mm -hmm. a find a pattern but it it just knows oh, yeah. deep down that it's not exactly how other uh how other instruments sound, how they're uh, most music, natural noises. Right. And most music is patternistic, which is what, why it appeal, appeals to, you know, the human mind is like, I mean, this is, this is like, this is in our evolution as well. To some degree, you have to imagine that. Oh, it's almost uh, the one reason why we're at the top of the food chain is our reason or is our ability to recognize patterns, but yes, it's also a, a, it can be to a fault. But that's uh, we're still here, so who cares? Yeah. So the Moogs or the Mogs 24 dB low pass filter is particularly distinctive with a rich, juicy fat sound. So that to me sounds like okay. Let me finish. The filter based on pairs of transistors connected to capacitors arranged in a ladder-like layout attenuates frequencies above a level set by the user and boosts the frequency around the cutoff frequency. When overdriven, the filter produces a distinctive distortion described as the Mog sound. So this is what I think, in my opinion, and I could be wrong here. I haven't listened to this instrument used by a good array or diverse um, amount of composers to know that this is true. But I believe that this is the sound that you hear in the scores for these films, specifically A Clockwork Orange, the Kubrick sound, like the Kubrick films. Because um, that to me, that description is what this sounds like in the film, um, as you just heard it in our previous sample. So a monster film and a monster piece of uh, piece of music, um, music and film intersecting. I mean, it's it's you hear it, and if you, once you see the film and you've heard the music, their marriage is is um, you know it's eternal, it really is. They belong they belong in the same category, and I think that the score itself for the film, anything that sh that Wendy Carlos contributed to the film, it really does get overlooked, and I think the reason for that is kind of the aspect that Ludwig uh, van van uh, Beethoven was a, a pseudo character in the film, right? Because um, the main character, Alex is so obsessed with Beethoven referring to him as Ludwig van. Um, so therefore, when you think the music of a clockwork orange, unfortunately, Beethoven is the first thing that comes to mind or Ludwig van. However, um, Wendy Carlos had a bigger role to play in what this film sounds like. So, um, Errol, anything you want to touch on the Clockwork Orange uh, aspect so far, or do you want to uh, move into the next section here? Um, yeah, no, I think we can. Uh, I think we can move on. The next section uh, that would be a uh, Sonic Seasonings, right? Yeah. So what we'll do is, um, I'm just going to read off what he has been producing um, in in the meantime. Or I'm sorry, she has been producing in the meantime because at this point she has um, she has transitioned entirely. This is now 1972. Clockwork Orange comes out in, I believe, 71. So once the soundtrack comes out, um, she has made a full uh, gender transition and is now um, being publicly referred to as Wendy Carlos. And Oh, so she, uh, like, a, it's almost like she came out with the... With the film. The film? I thought yeah. it was the... Okay, yeah. No, I'm... Yeah, because actually when the film came out, it was, uh, the soundtrack was... Um, she was still going by her birth name. So when the, when the studio album for the film came out, it was still under Walter Carlos. Okay. Um, so, but, uh, but 1972 was the year she transitioned. Um, and then we move into the sequel to Switched on Bach. This is Switched on Bach 2. 
Um, no, that was a that was 1973. 1972 was Sonic Seasonings. Oh, you're correct. You're right. See, I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. Yeah. Yes, Sonic Season Seasonings is the is the follow up to. Um, it actually came out the same year as the A Clockwork Orange um, uh, soundtrack. They were which it was released. The whole original score was released. And I will note that it is difficult. The reason that it's so difficult for um, to actually get digital versions of this music and most most music is listened to in a digital format online um but carlos discography is completely out of print and has never been licensed for digital distribution or for streaming or downloading um on platforms and that's the reason why it's so difficult to actually find her music now um did you so, uh, did you or did you listen to sonic seasonings i did not i couldn't find it that's that's Ooh, another one i that was I find I was able to find it. I got like two little tidbits on it. It's a um... you find it in uh Errol, if actually you know what a great idea is. Um if uh I'll have you send me the link and I will uh folks listening, I will include the link that Errol um is gonna provide me. Yes. So we, so we can actually get you guys um some audio for those things or at least a pathway to listen to them because um especially this one, this one was pretty well received um because um at this point Wendy Carlos had had put out two studio albums and she had been at least it was at least public that she was working on the clockwork orange and working with stanley kubrick um this was a more ambient sound as far as i heard it um and oh yeah um Errol, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you heard okay so um sonic seasonings uh, i i don't know why first i thought it would have been a um called food um it's, it's just the seasons <laughs> me too honestly yeah, it's a uh, she just uh, legitimately um I feel like she was just trying to uh, portray the seasons as uh you know she kind of felt or as well as she could on the uh on the on the Moog machine. Um so what you get with that, you get a, a peaceful spring, you know, birds chirping, all that like all on the uh, all synthetically. Uh and then uh summer gets kind of like tumultuous. Mm. It gets really kind of like kind of like violent not like i don't want to say violent but um i believe uh experimentally violent no i believe that's the time where like you get a lot of like the static if i'm not mistaken for okay. being like rolling waves and like you're you know you're on a beach and it's just really like you know it's, it's hectic though i'm telling that's that's the one feeling i got from uh from sides it's kind of okay. you're there but it's kind of hectic and then you get into fall and then fall is uh it's kind of cold, kind of spooky. And there she just it, it's almost Indeed. it's like a mix. It's like a mix of um music and foley art. Okay. She's using a like a lot of like uh kind of like birds chirping. Um uh towards the end you hear hear a lot of like icicles, like kind of cr crystals forming. And that was uh I think I mentioned something earlier where like a lot of these sounds are timeless. Like you'll hear them around mm -hmm. and then you'll be like, oh, like that kind of sounds similar to that. This is where it started. Like this is where everything started. It all started with her. There isn't probably a sound on that machine on the machine that she hasn't like you know accidentally heard. Right. Um, but then you get to uh, winter and it is cold. It is frigid and it slows down. So first, first uh, opinion is like you know beautiful, uh, beautiful rendition of the uh, of the you know seasons. Uh, but it kind of kind of dawned on me that it's almost like a, like the seasons it's a it's a pretty good uh pretty good simile for uh life and death so 
Yeah, so it starts in spring. Yeah, so like your the order, birth. track order, the track. Yeah, right. I see. Yeah, I see. Yes. Right. So it starts in spring. It's your birth. It's very peaceful, mm-hmm. as every you know childhood shoot should be, as you you know grow up. And then summer, as you're getting a little older, can get be a little reckless. You know, it could be yeah. a little reckless. And then you know, as you get even older, it gets scary. Like, you know, so you get the existential dread, you're worried about like, you know, yourself, like your family, if you have that kind of thing. And then like in winter is like your death, like everything, like it's cold, it it starts to stop and like you need to, uh, I still haven't decided if it's like you're dying or like you are dead, but it almost feels like you are dead. It feels like a full, like by the end of the album, it's almost like you have, you've uh, passed that and then you are in like a different place. And then it kind of, you would imagine it, it loops back around to the beginning and then the, you know, springtime. But I think it's a, it kind of had a, 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 it had a bigger impact on me than I thought it would. And um, I don't believe a lot of people would think it would like age well, but um, you know, I think it's like maybe two hours long, maybe a little bit underneath that worth a listen. If you can find it, I'll try to find it. No, it's it's not too bad. I mean, it's for an album. um, It's actually, it's not that long. It's only 86 minutes, but even that's pretty long for an album because it looks like the track is about 22 minutes, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Um, If you can listen to this, then that's a little longer than 86 minutes. Oh, for sure. No, I actually, this is one I'll have to circle back to because I did not get to, I did not get to give this a listen. And to be honest with you, it actually sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm, I'm actually really, uh, I'm very curious. I'll be walking away from this podcast um looking to dive into that because that does sound um very unique and um it's it's it sounds interesting i want to i want to dive so sure um and yeah what i was saying like there's a lot of uh, sonic seasonings are it's kind of where i get the sentiment from there's a lot of sounds that i heard there that i was like oh that's like a spaceship that's a um Um, i've heard that in like media before and then also um like this the static uh she perfects the use of static into like sounding like crashing waves and i was like i mean if you don't know what static is it's just the like latent energy remains of like the big bang yeah right right, right, right. yeah so if you're it's able to like harness that and kind of like be like oh it still kind of sounds like yeah. take take uh, the universe and like compound it into nature i don't know that's i feel like there's a deeper meaning there and i'm not doing it justice but it is it's crazy dude I feel, she's she's crazy yeah yeah she's excellent uh well she's also it's interesting because she does have an interest uh, at least according to her wikipedia she has an interest in in you know um astronomy to some degree she's an accomplished solar eclipse photographer um at one point Ooh. and she's some of her work was actually published by nasa so um, oh yeah and the, that's that's another thing too she's not just uh she's a, a very multifaceted oh yeah multi-talented yeah. multifaceted yeah, so uh, check that out. That's Sonic Seasonings, nineteen seventy-two. Um, we're gonna push through. I want to list the uh, the albums um, chronologically as they came out, and that will lead us into the the next film score. We've got. One I didn't. Uh, yeah, I didn't listen to uh, Switch on Bach to. Uh, I, I actually did more. that one. I could find. I found an audio. It was kind of a grainy audio, but it was it was good enough for me to hear it, and um, it was it was very similar, obviously, to the first one um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. Um, different catalog, obviously, it's not the same. Um, it's not the exact same music, but it is uh, of the same. Um, it's a it's a sequel. It's a sequel. It's a follow up, and it, and it's the same. Um, concept and she was going for a, a much um a very similar um approach to the first switched on bach album this was um this one came out in 1973 um 
and uh, everything on it was also by obviously Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, so that was switched on Bach number two, 1975. She pumps out um, an album by the name of by the title of By Request. Um, moving into 1980, she releases Switched on Bach Brandon Brandenburgs. Um, this is uh, this is a different. This is in like I said in the same vein as the Bach ones. However, this is going to be um, more classical music. Um, by and it's still Bach, but it's specifically the Brandenburg concertos. Um, and she does these performed once again, just an unbelievable talent, obviously. Um, but you hear her, she she performs the entirety of those concertos on the Mog modulator synthesizer, so front to back, just another one um, for the books. Um, another another iconic piece of music for her, and just showing off what unbelievable talent she had because. I mean to play classical music. Oh my god! Yeah, that's what. But to convert so it like, on a on an instrument that was developed alongside. It was. She music. was using. How are you going to use classical music as a lexicon? <laughs> right. Like, exactly. Yeah. Try to like configure <laughs> well, it on better music though. I mean, the yeah, difficulty level. If you can do it on that, you can do it on anything. And you can also play anything, any other kind of music on it. Like this is the this is the foundation of 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 musical composition is classical music. It's called that for a reason. So what better? Also, it's a truly difficult. You got to understand or you got to imagine at least that the difficulty level is at its peak doing classical music because that's when, you know, that that, that music is very technical and it's, and it's, you know, construction is obviously specifically oh, yeah. technical and difficult to perform. But, um, you know, what better, if you're going to dive in, dive into the deep end, I guess. Um, oh, yeah, exactly. If you can do it from there, you can swim on up. Yeah. Um, I do like the uh, Believe translation of uh, Brandenburg. Uh, okay. It's believed to be a West uh, Slavic uh, Brandy Boru for War Forest. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Was that? Uh, did you happen to? Did you get through that entire album? Because I could only get. I, I found the album, but it would only play. Um, like, I couldn't. A, a, I couldn't find little, it, so I just <laughs> settled for regular. Brandy this is the problem with. Uh, this is the problem with the Wendy Carlos story. Is I'll listen to it. I'll find it. Yeah, it's. I fine. owe it. I owe it to myself to do that. So that was released in 1980. Um, next in 19, and then after that's released in 1980, we're gonna dive right in. Um, here, where this is the the next big score for her, next film score. She reunites with Stanley Kubrick and she composes the score for one of the most iconic films ever made, one of the most unbelievable horror, the probably the quintessential horror film of the last 50 years, maybe of all time, probably of all time. Um, and that is the adaptation by Stanley Kubrick of Stephen King's The Shining. Take a listen to that. We're going to play that for you now. This is um, coming up. This is going to be the main title of Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Take a listen. Thank you. 
okay, you can rest your the, the hairs on your neck. That is uh that's the main title um sequence for The Shining, the um, the main track. Big big film, unbelievable film and Wendy Carlos, in my opinion, this is the apex of her contribution to the world of music for me, aside from the, the you know, the pioneering and invention, inventing of, you know, uh, a synthesizer um, that produced, obviously, many other synthesizers and a lot of other music. This, to me, is where it all culminates to an apex, where she has now... Like this, what she did for this one piece of music and for this film is to me like one of my one of my most cherished contributions that she made to um, the arts, in my opinion. Um, horrifying, just horrifying, in a great way too, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, um, in nineteen eighty. Uh, when he reunited with Kubrick to compose the score for the psychological horror film The Shining, before filming began, Carlos and Rachel Elkind read the book as per Kubrick's suggestion for musical inspiration. Carlos recorded a complete electronic score for the film, but Kubrick ended up using mostly existing recordings by several avant-garde composers, tracks that he had used as guide tracks during editing. Carlos and Elkind did not discover this until they were invited to the screening of the film in 1980, and they were reportedly furious about Kubrick's actions. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this dude always pissed people off. Um, their experience closely mirrored that of uh, composer Alex North, who had written and recorded a complete orchestral soundtrack for Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, but discovered at the film's world premiere that Kubrick had jettisoned the entire score in favor of the guide tracks he had used while editing the film. So uh, that's kind of one thing that I almost forgot to touch on, and I'm glad you brought it up. Mm -hmm. um, right? Right after Switched on Buck in 1968, you get one person and like a bunch of people who are really competitive winning awards for single person, no orchestra. Right, yeah. You're running a movie. You're like, you're telling me you can make an orchestratic by yourself. You don't need to pay like an yeah, ensemble. Right. You're like, just you. you Yo, come with come with me. I need your help with just just me and you. Focus. Especially, like, you know especially like. the uh well, especially because especially this film and the production stories about this film and how like the whole set burned down at one point. And, like, right. You couldn't have there's no way you could have afforded to, there's no way you could afford it like a whole like you know ensemble. But the worst part is he really scrapped most of their work, it sounds like. It sounds like he was uh, just like and you know what it's funny because I was as I was going to their soundtrack and I couldn't I couldn't figure out if this was due to like the non-digitization of, of uh Wendy Carlos's music um or her scores, but I actually think the rights to the music would be held by the film by the film rights holder, not her. So it really was that I think they only I think he only used, pardon me, um two of the tracks the rocky mountains was one of them um and the main title theme so like that's it yeah it says right here actually in fact uh warner brothers um on warner brothers records featured only two tracks credited to carlos and elkind the main title theme and rocky mountains the a for, the former a reinterpretation of the diez ira section of the symphony fantastic uh, by hector Berlioz, and you'll have to you'll have to forgive my horrible pronunciation of these, um, but uh, yeah, that's um that's interesting. So, biographer Amanda Su Amanda Suell discovered that Carlos and Elkind's agent Lucy Kroll had written a note in her files indicating that the duo had initially considered suing Kubrick, but Suell found that several pages further on, Kroll had written another note that read, "No signed contract." Uh, Carlos and Elkind had made the deal with Kubrick on a handshake and thus had no legal 
Oh no. Wow. Dude, I was gonna say Kubrick's earlier, a dick. I was gonna say earlier they probably cut a lot of the part parts from the shining because they just like in court they couldn't show like how bad they were treating Shelly Duvall. So yeah, like, I mean that's that, that might scene. be a part of the story, but I think it's mostly the fact that they just had no legal pathway because of the lack of of uh you know which is the, really a mistake on their part not even i mean kubrick's a bad guy for that yeah. he might not be a bad yeah. guy generally and i know the stories about shelly duvall's treatment on the set was pretty you know horrific but um handshake deal is a bad idea you, you get that shit written down you gotta get it documented so you can actually uh you know man jake if i spin my hand and shake your hand man you better count it not if your name's Stanley Kubrick, I don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna tell me you're gonna shake the man of a guy who fucking filmed Barry Lyndon? He made Barry Lyndon, and you're supposed to trust this man? He duped the whole world. He had put out fucking Doctor Strange Love, A Clockwork Orange, two thousand. <laughs> you gonna trust and him? You're like this dude is a fucking genius. Stand up guy. Then he puts out that snooze fest Barry Lyndon that everybody fucking hated. You don't trust this man as far as you can throw him. You get a you you watch that watch that man's uh like movies and then you're like you know what this is a well-adjusted human being yeah you get that. i can trust him <laughs> well like the sense i get from every time i watch one of his movies is like this guy must be a nightmare he must be an absolute nightmare to interact with he's probably an intense ocd con- control freak because everything is symmetrical everything is all the attention to detail like he's probably obsessive and like just nauseating and neurotic and that's what I get. The sense from it takes what it takes to get perfection. Yeah, yeah, you say that until it comes down to Shelley Duvall getting screamed at for like sixteen months, whatever. How long? <laughs> hey, no, I'm I'm on your side too, man. I, I we we're gonna we're gonna talk about The Shining. Let's. Oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry cops. Oh yeah, you got you got sirens going. That's no, okay. let's uh let's hey, hey, listen to the podcast. Listen, that's that's gonna happen. So. Um, yeah. No, we'll talk about The Shining more. We've got a lot of stories to tell. I think The Shining will be its own podcast. We'll probably have to dedicate about four hours to it, um, but we'll move right along through the uh, through this. I do of the two of the two tracks that were contributed to The Shining. To me, that's as that's even the main title theme. I know it's short, it's simple, it's basic, and it sets does, the tone. Man, it's so funny because she really did nail what the film needed, which was like you hear that um, you hear that opening score, like you just and that sound and the uneasiness that washes over you. I, I come back to that original question, like, do, is this evoking the emotion of uneasiness because I know I'm about to watch The Shining, or is it because that it's doing what it needs to do? And I think it's a column A, column B, but mostly column B. I think the well, music is the music is perfectly orchestrated to set the tone of uneasiness, to know that like something is building. There's an intent, there's a tension that's building in the background, lurking in the shadows of this film. And she just nailed that too. And it's so simple. If you listen to her play Bach, like top to bottom, front to back, like all of these these concertos and these massive pieces of musical history. Um, that are classical and technical and difficult and require so much nuance and talent. And then you just hear her play this very simple, like five note, but perfectly orchestrated for the film. And you know, okay, there's a musical genius that somewhere that lies somewhere in there. Um, Composer, man. Composing since 10. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it's. Do you think that this is the? Would you agree that this is the apex, or do you think that obviously the more yes, where she no, shows I, off her talent more in in other areas? So I I can't. From what I know, yes, this is the pinnacle of uneasiness because, like I said, I feel like she chose Stanley Kubrick over uh, uh, John Sturges because they had a more in sync, like a uh, in sync kind of uh, end goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the like the disorientation of the frequencies of the almost per almost good sound or not good almost perfect sounding you know music that like is making you feel some kind of way and then stanley kubrick uh just piles on to that like in the whole during the whole movie like you you told me this before too like it's not even a i was like how is the hotel laid out different every time it's always just different. It's you are never supposed to be comfortable while you're in there. You can never like get a sense of north, south, east, or west. It's just a lobby and like doors and like you know you go up and down and left and right. Like it's no, the thing's a maze. The whole thing's a maze, and it's it's almost, true. Well, he makes it's it show that it's a maze when they run through the maze, right? And then like yeah, and like he would like redirect. Once again, we're getting into the shining again, but it, it, the music plays a part in this in the uneasiness. But like that marriage between what Kubrick was trying to do with moving the furniture around and changing its directions and like um flipping the i think the like some of the rugs had like would be turned in a 180 degrees in between shots to just give this sense of complete like disorientation and you're watching it and your brain can't like peace you can't like north south east east or west it can't like where am i you're constantly like what's going on disorientation is the name of the game for that film and it's it's nailed it's never been nailed better than um what the way kubrick does it and this music um even though the the contributions are pretty minute in terms of but to me it's almost like i don't i actually think and i i should have um verified this before we started recording but i i, I want to know this but i'm actually pretty sure that the opening main title sequence is that's the only time this is how important wendy carlos is and how talented she is i believe that the main title theme that dun, 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 i believe that that is only played one time in the film at the beginning and yet when you think of the music in the shine yeah exactly you tell me when you think if somebody walked up to you on the street and said what's the music from the shining that would be what you would will come to mind right is mm-hmm. that the same for you as it is for me oh yeah 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 that, that's the impact right that's the impact and, and she she got that right and, and that makes it makes that movie it truly does um We'll move off The Shining. Like I said, one day we will circle back to The Shining in a more complete way. Um, that movie has a lot to be discussed. We could talk about that movie for a very, very long time. One day we will. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to move on through. I'm going to list off the remaining um, um, <clears throat> the remaining studio albums uh, recorded by uh, Wendy Carlos. And then we're going to talk a little Tron um, because that came out uh, a couple of years later in 1982. Um, and then we'll close it out. But let's let's take a quick break before we dive into that. Um, here's another piece from The Shining, the secondary piece, the companion piece uh, to the main title theme. This one's called Rocky Mountains. This was by Wendy Carlos in Stanley Kubrick's 1980 horror classic, The Shining. Take a listen.
Okay, welcome back. Uh, thank you again for listening, folks. Uh, this is the Wendy Carlos story. Um, this is our, our biography um, podcast about her life. Um, we're hoping to do as much justice to her story as we can. Um, and what you just heard was Rocky Mountains from the uh, her contribution, one of her two contributions um, to the 1980 Stanley Kubrick classic, The Shining. Um, obviously, she made more contributions to the film, but it sounds like Stanley Kubrick did not include everything. This was one of the pieces of music that was included. Um, but we're going to move on from The Shining. Like I said, we'll circle back to that uh, at a later date when we take on the film uh, wholesale. Uh, in 1982, uh, Wendy Carlos did score another film, and it was actually a pretty big film at the time, and it had its own soundtrack album. This was her third film. She did Clockwork Orange, The Shining, and then in 1982, she did um, the score using the MOG synthesizer again um, in a Krumar General Development System digital synthesizer. This is new technology from the 80s, um, that, um, and it was perfect for a film like this. This is called Tron. Errol, um, I listened to a little bit of this album. I thought it was, um, I actually thought it was quite good. There are parts of it, like the opening, um, the, I believe it was called the uh, Creation of Tron track or somewhere at the beginning of the film. I've actually never seen the film. I only listened to the uh, the soundtrack for this. And um, the, uh, let's see if I can find the title to the closing track. It's the last song on the soundtrack. It is called Anthem. Uh, no, no, no. Break in for Strings, Flutes, and Celeste. That's actually, it's a really beautiful piece of music. It really is. Um, it's like, it's kind of long uh, for, a, uh, you know, she has 22 minute long songs, but this song was only five and a half, but it, for the film, it was like the way the film closed and it was gorgeous. Um, it was just a beautiful piece of music and it doesn't really sound as electronic so much as the, the MOG synthesizer. So I'm wondering, this is probably the, where the uh, GDS digital synthesizer came in. Um, but I, I have never seen the film. If folks, if you have seen the film, uh, leave us some feedback about it. Let us know how you, how you, you know, view the film and better yet, how you view the uh, soundtrack um, composed by Wendy Carlos. Um, so the, that I thought that was actually a pretty good, it was another good mark for her. And it was, the film was pretty successful for the most part. And uh, that, that music, this was actually a kind of redemption for the shining because it looks like as, um, as it says here on her, on the Wikipedia page for this soundtrack, um, the entirety of the soundtrack was written by her. So she gets, she did not get shortchanged by the filmmaker. Ooh, yeah, that was her name. Yeah, all the way. Like we trust that. you. Yeah, so that's good. Um, so she scored that. And then um, two years later, she releases uh, the studio album Digital Moonscapes, um, written for orchestra. Um, another two years after that, she does her uh, a keyboard, she does her. Um, her rendition of the in, in this album uses alternative musical tunings and scales influenced by a lot of jazz um, uh, and world music. Uh, her rendition of Beauty and the Beast, which is obviously beautiful music on its own. And she classic. Um, yeah, it is a classic. Absolutely. I mean, unbelievable stuff. Um, and who doesn't love Beauty and the Beast? It's fantastic. Right. That's yeah. So she pumps that out. She does another one, Secrets of Synthesis. Um and then she does a very silly studio album with the American parody singer, songwriter, and musician Weird Al Yankovic. Um, and that one's called, this one was released in 1988. It was called Peter and the Wolf. Errol, did you, uh, I know this was, this was something about, uh, this, this actually landed in your sweet spot. It was nominated for a Grammy too, which is really cool. Yeah. 
That's where, yeah, we're one of, uh, we're a couple of the, uh, like six Grammy nominations that came from. I'm not exactly sure, but, uh, no, I, um, I have a, a soft spot for, uh, like, uh, like children's media. Mm-hmm. And, um, I really like stuff that doesn't talk down to kids. Yeah, um, me too. Agreed. I have two so, young daughters and I, I, there's nothing worse than like you speak so, to them like they're idiots. So the thing is, um, you actually, uh, like psychologically speaking, you should talk up to your kids. You should, uh, say, you know, words that are synonyms that they might not know so they can physically engage and learn. Like, and that's the thing. If you, if you just look at them like, Oh, like, you know, I'm sorry. Like this, if you talk down to them all the time, they're just used to being talked down to. They're going, you're, you're going to feel some kind of way. This is, so, this is, this is wonderful. Just let me, I just want to uh, interject for just a second. It's, it's hilarious to say this because it's a hundred percent true. And uh, more specifically, my wife and I have a uh, have a policy with our oldest, um, who's mm-hmm. almost, who's almost three. Um, we I, and I, I framed it in this in this way, and she probably said it a lot more elegant than I did. But um, I think the aim is that like I always want to talk to her just slightly above her head. Like oh, the target yeah. is no, right above yeah. her head. It's not right at her level or below her level. Or not too high above her level, which is, you know, which wouldn't be the worst thing either. But like right just slightly above her head, introduce her, introduce her to new vocabulary and new concepts verbally that are that she's not going to get on the first try, but she could probably get if she practiced. So like, right. That and like, she's like, oh, in the context, like that would make me feel this kind of, is that what it means? Like it's um honestly, it's, it's the only way you can treat kids with respect. Like instead of just having like a basic, like, you know, kid shows up, like, um, I, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but what I, it, it reminded me of a uh, Raffi. Oh yeah. Raffi's great. I showed you Raffi last summer, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Raffi's while we were hanging out with the, with the kids and stuff. And that's yep. the thing. Like th- these are songs for young kids, but yep. it's not just like, you know, like top tier left. Here's your left. Yeah, no, no, here's no. your right it's, on your right. Like it's like, well, kids need to be challenged, and this is exactly this you gotta. This album did that for sure. I I, I think so. And uh, Weird Al, just to, if he if he's collabing with you, then it's it's because uh he, it's a real recognized real man. That's yeah, the only man. reason he's up your alley is because you're, he likes what you're doing. And well, listen, Weird Al is low key like one of the more successful like music artists in like the last 50 years i think he has more grammy nominations than like well williams (laughs) if you go like grammy nominations per like controversies he's probably number one (laughs) like easily like not even a close like i mean just in general i mean literally he is actually a holder of like many grammys he's been nominated let's see he has five wins he's been nominated 16 times (laughs) the 21 He's a gangster. Like he, he's like, and he's, he's a great person. Yeah. And he's, he's doing a lot of good for the world. I mean, he's, he's just, he's taking the piss. That's what he's doing. He's just making, he's taking the piss out of like artists who take themselves way too seriously. And any artist who's like tried to sue him, first of all, parody law is pretty protective of guys like him and uh, be like, just learn to laugh at yourself a little bit. And I'm glad to see that she worked with him because that means that she had a sense of humor as well. Oh Yeah. And um, yeah, so under the, and, and it looks like it's he utilizes uh, fair use provision in the copyright law, which is uh, you know something we use. You don't need the permission if it's a, a parody or educational, which is how we that's how we construct this podcast. I mean, we 
we can't acquire rights to things um, all the time, uh, especially if we're talking about it and already doing a review or a critique. So we do the best we can with fair use. Um, but anyway, so that was the uh, final um, studio album that we're going to cover, Peter and the Wolf, uh, released in 1988. This was the, actually the, uh, it was a part two of Weird Al and Wendy Carlos. Um, so um, Honorable mention me. though, uh, switched on Bach 2000. Yes, that was a big one too. And that came out yes. in 1992. That was um and that was a that was actually a pretty big um album. She returned to the to the Bach um series of of um of musical composition. Um it was a, it was a big deal and it was the 25th anniversary, right? That was the reason that she um I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so it was 25 years after the original Switched on Bach was released that she released Switched on Bach 2000. Um so that's the catalog. That's the career um, aspect of Wendy Carlos. Um, a lot of contributions to the world of music. Um, and uh, she did have um, a lot going on outside in years later. Um, in 1998, Carlos sued the, song the songwriter artist Momus for $22 million regarding the song Walter Carlos from the album The Little Red Songbook released that year which postulated that after the sex reassignment surgery, Wendy could travel back in time to marry her pre-transition self, Walter. And like, how, how weird is that just to like, talk well, you about? You just have like, to have that's... a rotten heart. I mean, Man, no, well, even there's some stuff, if you want to be creative, just keep that to yourself. Like that, what, <laughs> like that's kind of, I feel like that's some kind of weird projection. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I, I don't understand the like. Uh, to me, it seems as though as Wendy Carlos was not this like massive controversial figure who was like looking to pick battles with people. I'm glad she. No, she was. She almost like wanted to stay out of the limelight. I to the point where I didn't even know about her. Well, listen, I will say this, and I don't know. And this is not to speak on behalf of the artist Momus, who is a Scottish musician and writer. Um, because uh, I don't know actually the details of the case, but they did settle out of court and he did remove the song from some subsequent editions of the CD and uh, owed $30,000 in legal fees. So I don't know if that means that he corrected his wrong because of, um, you know, legal pressure or if he had a change of heart, I hope for the latter. Um, you know, that's what I hope is the is the truth of that story. Um, but that was a that was an ugly thing that she had to go through, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully, she was well compensated. And since then, it doesn't look it doesn't appear to me as though there's been a ton of controversy surrounding her, pretty much at all. I think she's enjoyed a, a really good career. Um, she's 83 years old, still living um, to this day. She, her website. I want to share her website, uh, Wendy Carlos. Uh, WendyCarlos.com. Is that right? Oh yeah, WendyCarlos.com. But also, no, she did have the controversy with the biography. Oh, this Which, is right. yeah. and it's almost it's almost not even worth to touch into because if she says it's false, I'm gonna listen to her. Yeah, I'm me gonna, too. You know, yeah. there's there's a biography, but don't I wouldn't pay it any mind personally. Yeah, and and so I want to I want to actually um, recant at some point. I'm gonna I'm gonna trust her as well that the parts of the of the biography that she claims are untrue. Unfortunately, at one point in this podcast, I believe that we have um, quoted that biography in, inadvertently because I see that the musicologist who wrote it, Amanda Sewell, um, published it in 2020. Um, although the author was unable to secure on-the-record interviews with the artist or anyone close to her, it was positively received by critics. On her personal website, Carlos describes the work as fiction that mischaracterizes her life and deceased parents. That being the case, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna agree with you, Errol. I, I'm gonna stick with Wendy Carlos on that one in disregard. 
um, this biography. I, we didn't use it for our research, but it did come up in other articles. Uh, Amanda Sewell was quoted in the podcast. So if there's anything that um, I, I believe I quoted her at one point, somewhere in her, in either an article or a Wikipedia entry. So um, if that's the case and that's incorrect, I, I do apologize. Um, I don't, I don't want to be um, slanderous or you know, produce any false information on the story of Wendy Carlos. It's an, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an important story for the evolution yeah. of music. And I don't, yeah, honestly, it wasn't my intention. So hopefully that's, um, hopefully w- wherever that is in the podcast, um, we'll either edit it out or if you hear me refer to Amanda Sewell um, as a referential point, just, um, you could probably disregard whatever I said there. But uh, that being oh, said, yeah. um, that being said, a, largely, uh, largely we used other sources for uh, our research. I I definitely tried to. It's a, a a polarizing story for a polarizing figure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, very much so. Very impactful. Very very polarizing for um, good and bad reasons. Um, I I absolutely swear that we wouldn't be where we are in music without uh without her sacrifice. And by sacrifice, it was her her pleasure. Her yeah, just uh, up really in the lab studying. Yeah, it's true. It sounds like her her career was uh, fruitful, and hopefully, hopefully, she's enjoying retirement in her uh, in her eighties now. Um, it's um, there's a great article. I want to share two things. Number one, if you want to learn more about Wendy Carlos, if you want to contact Wendy Carlos, I don't know that you can contact her directly, but I'm sure she has people who update her website. Um, her website is www.wendycarlos.com. Um, her, I think all of her discography and you can access some of her music, some of her blogs, some of her um, photo archives, um, some news and old news, a um, lot, lot of stuff there in that website. Um, my opinion is it can use a little work. It's, it's, uh, it's a little patchy, but it's it's not bad. Um, but, That's all you need. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's listen, she's in her 80s and this is... Oh, well, cool. how, how's our website coming? <laughs> Speaking of which, yeah. I'm hoping it looks a little bit better than, than Wendy Carlos's but by the time we're done with it. But then again, we're... Oh, know, is it is it done though? Is it, you know, because uh, it seems which, like no she has a functioning website. Yeah, at least she... So I don't think we should be so harsh. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I'm going to take my lick because I think that is deserve that one. Uh, it's true. No, we are not completed with our website, but we're, we're working on it. We just need time. Yeah, we're chipping away. That should actually be, I will uh, admit that that will be, uh, that will probably be launched. I'm aiming, my goal is to aim for um, the end of July and that will be out there um, hopefully with our, with our, all our content on it. Sometime at the end of July is, is the target. So you guys just hang tight and looking for that. But uh, in the meantime, if you want to check out Wendy Carlos, wendycarlos.com. Um, there's a great article about her and where she's at now, um, on, uh, culture.com. Um, the title, the title of the article is Wendy Carlos, the brilliant, but lonely life of an electronic music pioneer. Um, it was written, um, uh, sorry, I had it right here. It was written by, uh, Juanjo Villalba and you're going to have to, you're going to have to butcher. I'm, I butchered that pronunciation for sure. And, uh, I apologize for that. Um, but that was released and published in uh, 2022 um, in December 12th at culture.com. Uh, like I said, the title of that is Wendy Carlos, The Brilliant But Lonely Life of an Electronic Music Pioneer. So that is the story of Wendy Carlos. And you can get you can learn a little bit more about where she's at today by checking out those uh, resources. Um, she was a highly accomplished music pioneer for sure. 
an important person in the in the world of music. I was glad to talk about her. What do you think, Errol? Do you think we covered as much as we we should have? Yeah, no, I can't really um I can't really think of much else that I uh that we missed. I'm really glad we talked about her. Um like I said, polarizing figure. Um really uh really uh, have to feel have to feel for her. uh couldn't have been easy. Uh but you know what they say? Uh uh what is it? Uh uh smooth waters don't make for uh, good sailors. That's right. That's right. That's it's that's you'll you'll find a lot of the people we talk about too are uh, rough lives, man. Yeah, rough uh, lives, great people. It. Yeah, but that's it's that's the truth is that it, it really does uh you know people the overcoming of, of odds are are always what produced the most interesting stories and the most iconic stories and the stories that paved the way for others. So great to talk about Wendy Carlos. Uh, that's the biography on Wendy Carlos. We're going to take a short break. Um, when we come back, we're going to tell you what's next on the Peripheral Views podcast. So just hang tight for just a moment and we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Peripheral Views Podcast. That was a wrap on the second in our biography series. Um, that was the story of Wendy Carlos. Um, we appreciate you guys listening again. It was uh, it was fun to do research on this one as well. Um, a great story, a lot of great, um, a lot of great touchstones. Um, but let's talk about what's coming up next for the Peripheral Views Podcast. We've got we're going to add on to an, another series. We're going to do another film um, podcast. This will be film number two. This is the next one on deck. This is going to be the death of Stalin. This was my pick, Errol. I'm actually super pumped to. Well, a I'm super pumped to talk about this film. Um, I'm even more excited to watch it again. <laughs> it is uh, it's 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 one of my all time favorite movies. I was. Uh, I gave you a couple of options to pick from, and this was your selection of my selections. Oh um, yeah, I uh, I haven't seen it, so I'm looking forward to uh, watch that uh, a day or two. Um, yeah, I'll get yeah, that. no, you're really gonna enjoy it. It's it's an unbelievable movie. It's super hilarious. It's it's a dark, dark, dark black comedy. It's a blast. You're gonna have so much fun watching. Right it. up my alley, man. Super excited to talk about it. Uh, Death of Stalin. It's a 2017 political satire black comedy film. Uh, written and directed by Armando Iannucci um, and co-written by David Schneider and Ian Martin with Peter Fellows. So that is a big one coming up next. That's um, we're going to probably record that in the next, probably the next week or so. That'll be followed up by our first ranking show. Um, that's going to be fun too. So those are the next two in place. The ranking show um, is going to be um, 
centered we haven't decided we haven't completed the entire uh construction of the format on that ranking show it's going to be something around um mma uh we're going to talk a little ufc um probably going to include a top five or top 10 um ufc moments of the year or or maybe or maybe mma moments of the year um alongside a you know a top five or top 10 all-time ufc moments is what we've been discussing we'll get that format you know, finalized and constructed. Um, and then at the end of that, we've got a special little like segment that we're going to add to that. Um, and I'll keep that one on the hush hush. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave that a surprise for you guys. We're going to leave some secrets. Yeah, no, you don't want to show, you don't want to, you don't want to show how the sausage is totally made. You want to keep a little bit off to the side. Keep an ace in a sleeve. Yeah. A little ace, a little ace in the hole. Little calamity, Jane. Um, not bad, not bad at all. That, and that'll be at the end. We'll save it for right for the end of that ranking show. So those are the next two episodes. That'll be our first ranking show. Um, film number two, The Death of Stalin. Ranking show number one. Those will be out in the next couple of weeks. Um, and uh, there'll be a third episode. We haven't decided exactly what that's going to be on quite yet, but our next two is re- are ready to go. We're just going to be doing uh, finalizing our research and we'll be recording those in the next uh, couple of weeks for your listening pleasure that being said arrow what do you think let's close it out uh thanks again for listening folks the peripheral views podcast this is jake and arrow signing off um, uh yeah no i um really glad we talked about it uh only final note is uh you know i just would like to uh, uh thank miss carlos for everything she's done and where we're at now Absolutely. Great contribution to uh, to the world of music and the world of film um, and culture in general. So um, big thank you to her. Her story, her, her story was beyond intriguing. Glad to cover it. And um, that should do it for the Peripheral Views podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll check in with you again in the coming weeks. Signing off.